Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Being a Grateful Leader, How to Practice Gratitude to Improve Your Life and Work. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, five, six. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I always love getting the chance to work with and talk with today's guest. She is a three-time returning guest to the podcast. You might have heard her on episode 173, where we talked about the power of profitable conversations, and episode 252, where we talked about five steps to getting what you want. She is the founder and intelligence activist at Amy K International, where she helps leaders improve their work and lives one conversation at a time. She's an award-winning speaker, trainer, coach, and communications expert, and she founded the global women's empowerment and self-leadership platform, shegetsit.com. You should definitely check out her books. They're both Amazon number one bestsellers, The Secrets Leaders Keep, and Get It, Five Steps to the Sex, Salary, and Success You Want. She is based in one of my favorite places in the country, San Diego, California. Welcome back to the show, Amy K. Hutchins. Elizabeth, it is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. We have so much fun when we connect. Absolutely. So I'm really glad that you could um, come back to the show. And I just introduced you. I mentioned you've been here twice before. Some listeners will remember that. But I always like to give you a chance, you know, to introduce yourself in your own words. And definitely, there are a lot of new listeners who will enjoy learning a bit about who you are. Well, I think one of the things that I always say is that I'm so good in sales because I started off as an elementary school teacher. So if you can <laughs> sell nine and 10 year olds, you know, the idea that education is fun and learning is fun, you can sell anybody anything. And so absolutely, my story is one of education. So I started off as an elementary school teacher and then a corporate trainer and then a consultant and coach and then a global speaker. And if you'd said to me, you know, 25 years ago as an elementary school teacher, someday, you know, you'll speak on stage and, you know, you'll work with these CEOs. I would have been like, huh, no way. But here, <laughs> but here I am. And I think something that probably will resonate with everyone who's listening is that it was the irony of not being confident when I was little, mm. and not use, knowing how to use my voice that really led me into communications and being a master communicator today. And so I always say that where your greatest pain resides your greatest gift if you choose to make it so. And so it's just been an absolute wonderful journey for me to improve my own communication confidence. Absolutely. I, I really love that statement because the key there is if you choose to make it so. And I think everybody is going to encounter those big challenges and pains, whether it's a part of the way you were socialized, the way you grew up, whether it's just a core part of your personality and who you are, a mix of those two. Uh, we're all going to find situations where we feel we don't have what it takes to fit um, what's necessary. And you have that option to, to make a choice. Are you going to pursue it? Are you going to work on it? Are you going to make an effort? Or are you going to go with maybe what's more comfortable? And that's a choice that we make every single time we hit an obstacle. I think I think you've nailed something that's really pretty profound, Elizabeth. And that is, it is choices. It's, it's choosing to be in the practice of fill in the blank. Am mm -hmm. I going to choose to be in the practice of happiness today? Am I going to choose to be in the practice of love today? Am I going to choose to be in the practice of really serving my clients and my prospects today. And that is a choice. And it's a daily choice. It's not something you master in the sense of, oh, I'm always going to show up. It's like, no, but I am always going to show up to be aware that it's a choice. I, I really love that. And that's actually why when I was thinking about what resource um, from Criteria for Success to mention at the beginning of this episode, I thought of the ebook that I, I put together on being a grateful leader because gratitude is a practice like that. And it's certainly, it's like a muscle where the more you do it, the more naturally it will come to you. But it's not something that you can ever check a box and say, okay, I am a grateful leader. I am a grateful person. <laughs> um, instead, it's it's a daily choice that you make. And there will be times when you are not grateful. You're not kind. You're not open, whatever, whatever value you're looking for. But if you view yourself on that path, and if it's a commitment that you've made to yourself, it's you always have the option to 
continue to make choices and to move back on track. Yeah, and I think you bring up something, and we'll, we'll do a little tangent here just because I'm responding to that comment, and I think this is apropos. I am not toxic positivity. So I am not mm. the whole, you know, you got to show up and be Pollyanna and rah, rah, spoon, ba. <laughs> and you just nailed it. There are days when you're not feeling very grateful. There are days when you're not feeling kind. But here's what we don't do. We often don't explore the why behind that, like mm-hmm. what's happening. And I've always said, I say this to my coaching clients all the time too, invite that feeling to dinner. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't mean literally, but I mean like invite them in and talk to that feeling. You know, if you, if you are, let's just be, let's just be candid for a second. Maybe you're feeling pissy. Maybe you're feeling cranky. Maybe you're not feeling particularly grateful or kind rather than repressing it. Or, or just giving into it and not learning from it, say, okay, if I'm really going to feel this, first of all, what's going on that's causing me to feel this way? All right. Mm-hmm. Now, understanding that, what do I need? Like, where am I feeling disrespected? Where am I feeling dismissed? Where am I feeling ignored? Where am I feeling unloved? Where am I feeling left out? Why am I so frustrated? Or where am I resistant to all this? And then it becomes this fantastic self-awareness opportunity. And again, it's not then about pushing you into positivity. It's just saying, oh, I am depleted today and I am frustrated with some of the the no's that I've gotten. And so now I need to refuel. And that's what this is really all about. My frustration is the fact that I need to break. Like I need to go play, reset, recenter, regroup, rather than grinding through the next 10 phone calls and having all of them go poorly too. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that that idea of being willing to, first of all, acknowledge and admit what you are feeling and experiencing and what you are inclined, how you are inclined to react to the situation that you're in. Um, it's that's, that's the first choice you have to make because yeah. you can, as you said, you can just ignore it, repress it. You can give into it. Um, you can push past it, but still kind of ignoring, you know, the, the why and, and what influenced it, but taking that time, especially as, as you do this over and over, you're going to notice consistent um, triggers potentially that are that are pushing you away from the direction that you want to go. And you can identify consistent strategies to, you know, avert it before it kind of gets gets to that level. And so it's a it's always a good practice to have some uh, practice of self-reflection, but especially in those moments where we're where we're pulled in a direction, um, you know, to react in a way that doesn't represent us the way that we want to be in the world. Self-awareness is huge. And to give yourself grace, I always say mm-hmm. your reaction, your reaction doesn't define you, but your response does. Meaning you can be triggered, you're allowed to be human, you're allowed to have the full range of emotions, but then what do you choose as that thoughtful response? So we are, oh, you are in my wheelhouse, girl. So this is good. <laughs> well, and I remember even back to, I think it was in our first conversation, just that idea of saying, of, of not feeling that you have to have a response to the entire situation, to, right. to have a reaction of shock and surprise, right? Mm-hmm. That's your reaction that you're feeling. And then especially as a leader, so often we're tempted to respond right away. To even just say, that's a lot, or I don't know what to say right now, or I'll think about that yes. and, and get back to you with a response. That's a much more productive thing than just spewing your reaction right at somebody because um, they don't need all of that. And you don't need all of that. No, you don't. And I think that um, one of the things that's really important is, you know, one of the things that we, again, we feel like we have to respond in that moment. And even just to say, I, I was not expecting that. I I wasn't, wow, you know, I was a little bit blindsided by that or wow, that was a lot of information. I need to go away and process that and think about it thoughtfully so that I can come back and respond accordingly. All of those are things that you can do to kind of use a buzzword right now to, to leverage your agency and mm-hmm. to take your power back. Absolutely. Um, I feel like we've, we've kind of naturally just started the conversation, but I do want to frame this a little bit, just looking at the situation that we're in right now, right? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I love talking to you anytime, but this moment seems especially apropos because your focus is helping people learn how to drive positive change 
through what are often difficult conversations. And we've got a lot going on right now that's causing difficulty, right? We've got the ongoing impacts of the pandemic. We've got political situations, economic situations. And leaders are pulled in a lot of different directions. Leaders are maybe having to communicate about things or in ways that they haven't had to communicate before. I'd, I'd love to talk about some of what you're seeing and hearing from people in terms of how leaders need to communicate right now, maybe some of the challenges that they're having. Well, you just listed a boatload of issues. I mean, if we think about how much turmoil there is in the world and how mm-hmm. much... Um, how many difficult conversations? I mean, just just think about the past two years. Everything from PPP to DEI to ESG to technology, succession planning, low margins, and then of course, you know, in the United States, you've got regulatory changes and compliance initiatives, and um, everyone around the world has dealt with supply chain issues. And that doesn't even take into account whether you're masked or you're unmasked. Are you working from home? Or are you back in the office? Are you boosted? Are you boosted again? I mean, these are a lot of difficult topics that we've had on our plate and all of them are stress and anxiety triggering. And so I think that for me, what's been a really big theme in my keynotes, what's been a really big theme in my coaching and my trainings right now is empathy. And I don't mean that as a trite word. I'm actually, I'm going to go a little bit deeper on that. We hear about empathy. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, walk a mile in somebody's shoes. And it's like, no, it's more than that. (laughs) When you really break it down, to me, it's so that you as the leader, whether that's the leader of an organization, the leader of a group, the leader of your home, the leader of a relationship, whether it's selling or it's personal, it's so that you can show up empathically intelligent enough so that you can offer sensitive, perceptive and appropriate communication and support. And that takes conscious thought. And that's why, and I'm a little bit of a geek when I say this, but EQ, emotional intelligence, has been proven and cited in in a myriad of of research studies that it accounts for 58% of job performance. So whether you're running a warehouse, you're in sales, you're leading logistics and supply chain, or you're an architect with a team, 58% of your performance on the job is going to come down to EQ. And that means having the the ability to communicate empathically with others. And that's huge. Absolutely. It's, I, I love that you pulled that out because as you said, it's a word that gets used so much. People talk about empathy. And what I love about your work and and the way you approach things is you get to a place of of making things applicable of tactical sometimes you know what are the specific words to say what are what are the ways to approach something and empathy is something that needs to be unpacked because it's it's a it's it needs to be used in a lot of different ways right now you know to to understand what are the stressors that my employees are experiencing what are the pressures that they have? You know, for, for the last two years where school has been interrupted and, you know, you, you know, this is a teacher, that's not ideal. Um, and there've been, whether school was closed for, for months on end or, oops, somebody tested positive, the class is going to be working remotely for, you know, two weeks. If you have on your team people with school-age children, guess what? They have an additional stressor that they haven't had before. And so just being aware of the situations that might be unique. Um, If you have, and hopefully you do, employees of of color and and diverse backgrounds, are there situations happening in the news that are going to be causing, you know, emotional stress and and difficulty and and reminders of painful experiences they might have had for themselves? If you just assume, you know, we've we've seen a terrible video on the news or, or, you know, heard whatever it is, and and you're just going to show up at work and everybody's going to be absolutely normal to to what you'd see day to day, guess what? You're wrong. (laughs) And you're you're going to really be providing a disservice to your employees who may be really impacted by that. And there are so many situations that happen at a big enough scale that it's not as difficult almost to just at least think about who on the team might be impacted by this and how and 
how should I potentially adjust? It's not that you have to know each person on your team, every little thing about them, but even just that first level, that that big picture stuff, that big context um, is a is an important at least place to start. And I think that, you know, the listening side of it mm. to just add another layer is not only like, as you say, to acknowledge and do some of the prep work as a leader to say, who is impacted by this and how are they impacted and what can we do to mitigate, you know, um, the negative consequences for them or to make their life easier or not mitigate, but like to mitigate like the impact for them. And then how do we expand and make it easier for them? And I think that one of the things that it comes down to is also when somebody walks into your office or whether it's a zoom call or, you know, it's an email rather than trying to make them feel instantly fine, or to instantly go to, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, it's going to work out. This isn't a big deal. What you're doing then is you're invalidating somebody's experience. Mm. And so the, I always encourage leaders to lean in to connect first. So it would be the, oh, you sound upset. Am I hearing you correctly? Are you upset? Or you sound frustrated. Am I hearing you correctly? Are you frustrated? And notice that I'm always going to ask, am I hearing you right? Or am I hearing you correctly? Because I, it's okay for me to be wrong. So like if Absolutely. I said to you, Oh, Elizabeth, you know, you sound angry. Am I hearing you correctly? Are you angry? And you're like, no, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm just a little frustrated. You're going to correct me anyway and tell me what you're feeling, which allows us to get a better sense of what's going on with you. And then I can respond more appropriately based on the information that I get from you. So it's okay to take a risk on what somebody might be feeling as long as you're like, hey, is that true? And I think that when we do allow people to feel heard, seen, and understood, then everybody starts to stay in that situation more open-minded. We, we're actively listening. We're staying engaged. Now we can move to problem solving because we're not caught up in that, oh, I don't feel heard and seen. So now I'm going to double down on my emotion, my vent, my tantrum. Absolutely. That, that you know, first step of not assuming. And yes. that's so incredibly important. And that the feeling that you get when somebody confirms that they they see you, they hear you. They, they, they're seeing something in you They're you know, whether it's facial expression or body language or the words that you're saying or the tone that you're saying them in and to, to acknowledge that as a leader to say, Hey, it, it looks like something's going on. This is what I see. This is what I hear. And then validating that. And all of those are, you know, again, going back to what you said earlier, there, there are ways of empowering somebody, of acknowledging them as an individual, as a person, of, of showing them respect and showing them care. And they, they will be in a different mindset for the, for the whole rest of the conversation. As you said, if, if you kind of can catch it in that moment before just glossing over it. And it can be easy when you're under the gun when, you know, there's a constant focus on productivity, on getting more out of what you have to think, oh, it's a waste of time. I need to just move forward. But you're actually going to get better work and better problem solving and creativity out of people if they know they're seen as individuals and are listened to. Well, you just created a beautiful bridge to exactly the thought that was in my head. So I'm, I'm going to pick it up and walk across it. The, the bridge that you just painted was this the sense of urgency and productivity. And that is another trend that I'm seeing that with the world having stepped up from 90 miles an hour to 190 miles an hour, <laughs> everybody's got this sort of very contracted, very clenched, I got to get this done. I got to get it done yesterday. I've got 40,000 things in my top five to-do list. And I just want to remind everybody who's listening, no matter what type of leadership position that you're in, that patience is the foundation of love. Mm. And I don't think it's woo-woo at all. And I work with leaders all over the globe, and I talk about this all the time. It's professional to say that you want to lead with love. It's professional to say that if you show up with patience, it doesn't mean the deadline's changed. It doesn't mean the expectations are any lower. It means that you've taken a deep breath long enough to say, okay, I'm going to slow down a little bit. And I, and I think this is something that we need to do with ourselves too, is to catch this language mm. of busyness that we've got all the time. So I hear, and I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but I hear all the time, I'm busy. I'm mm -hmm. so busy. Oh my gosh, what a busy day. Oh, it's crazy busy around here. Uh, there's not enough time in the day to do it all. And 
when you can change your own internal dialogue, there's two two things that I that I get kind of passionate about. One is the internal dialogue of catch yourself saying, oh, I'm busy or I'm so busy and go, no, 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 no. I'm focusing on X. I'm prioritizing mm. Y. I'm taking action around this. I'm I'm committed to getting these two priorities done today. Um, or XYZ's got my attention today. This is really important. So that internal dialogue to shift your own mindset. And so you're not, you're not wasting and draining energy on the, I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted. And then when your people come along and say that without condescension, but with the right sort of energetic tone and tenor and say, okay, you sound really busy. But what I love is that we're focusing on this. We're prioritizing X. Mm. We're taking action on Y. And you're feeding them language that they can say to themselves, which literally biologically changes their physical chemistry and allows them to focus and be more productive. That's so powerful because even just in, in hearing you talking about that, busy is something that happens to you, mm -hmm. right? If you're busy, busyness is around you. You can't impact busyness. You can make a choice. You can impact focus. Priorities are yours, right? You take Absolutely. ownership of them. Commitment is something that that is, again, yours, that, that ownership, that agency. And to be able to even look at a day full of all kinds of different types of activities and different areas and pull out the thread of here's what I'm focused on. Here, maybe it's one or two things, right? It doesn't, it doesn't all have to fit into one exact bucket, but I love that we're, we're moving forward these key initiatives or we're, we're breaking down the barriers or, you know, today is a day of focusing on moving everything forward one step. Whatever frame can be applied that takes it from busy to active and intentional is, this is such an overused word, but it's, it's just so empowering. Well, it is. And it is a way of taking your power back. I mean, it's, it's no different than when I'm working with my clients and, you know, it's the, just watching your language. It, it, I'm, I'm a big believer in energetics. Um, and I'm a big believer that energy, not time is the fundamental currency of high performers. And so I'm often talking about energy because the way that I look at it is, you know, time's a finite resource. We all have 24 hours in a day. Then why do some people get amazing amounts of stuff done? It's because they manage their energy. And so it's mm -hmm. like, if you think about it, even the like the low energy words of I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I can't do this, I'm so confused. And you're like, no, 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 wait a minute. I can do the one step at a time, deep breath. You know, I'm learning this, I got this. And I even with go-getters and high achievers, I'll say, have you ever had one of those days where you started to beat yourself up because you weren't super productive? And they're like, oh yeah, you know, just last Thursday. And I'm like, so think about that though. Last Thursday is a one-off for you. And now you're giving it all kinds of power again by your own inner critic. I said, just tell yourself, it was a day, it was an afternoon, it was an hour, whatever it was. And then be like, and I'm energized now. And it's like, so don't give it any more of your energy, move forward. And it's kind of like in sales, you've heard me say this, Elizabeth, it's like when somebody tells you no, don't give it any energy, it's not personal. Okay, mm -hmm. no, no for not now, no, because I haven't answered your question, no, because you know, this is a budget thing or a cash flow. Like what, what's the no? And then move on because where you put your energy, where you focus your energy is going to be a reflection of your state, a reflection of your life, your definition of success, but it's all going to come and stem from how you manage your own energetics. That's, that's such an important concept. And I think it really ties in to that that idea that you mentioned specifically, you know, that those super, super high performers, very productive. Sometimes you need to have that Thursday afternoon yes. <laughs> where you're lying yes. on the couch or lying on a beach or, or, you know, maybe for you, turning things off is taking a jog. I don't know. That's not me, but I'm sure some people find that <laughs> relaxing and energizing. But you you cannot be go, go, go all the time. And if you try, I, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to at some point hit a wall. And what you don't want to do is is push yourself to a level that you you, you go beyond your your limits, and you you know get physically sick or um, burned out or or just 
you know, you have to shut down for a month because you're so overwhelmed as opposed to just occasionally, you know, taking those days and afternoons and, and whole weekends maybe where you're not working. Imagine that. Uh, That is important. And, and that, that balance is something that we, we can't forget and we can't neglect. Well, it's shifting priorities. And I think that it is, you know, go-getters type A'ers are like, oh, you know, I, I don't I don't have time for this. And it's like, well, then at some point you'll crash and maybe it'll be later than somebody else, but it's not a competition. It's mm-hmm. really just saying, hey, you know, um, is this next choice going to drain me or fuel me? And I love that question. Is this next choice is what I'm about to do. You know, how energizing is it for me too? And I'll even, I'll even talk, and I talk about this in my masterminds a lot, just fill in the blank on a scale of one to 10, how energizing is it for me to ruminate on this, right? Negatively, mm. you know, how on a scale of one to 10, how energizing is it for me to hold on to this worry? And then you can flip it. You can do it positively on a scale of one to 10. How energizing is it for me to go for that walk or that run that you mentioned? Or on a scale of one to 10, how energizing is it for me to like stop reading emails and just spend 20 minutes with my dog or my kids or my nieces and nephews? Um, And so that's a great way of mastering your own mindset to say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how energizing is it for me too? And then just fill in the blank. That's uh that's a great way also of taking something that's more amorphous and really putting a number to it. And I would imagine uh some people might find it helpful to even track that, you know, journal it somewhere and and write that down and see the the things that you are thinking about and the the things that you are inclined toward um having as your next step and how you've evaluated them. And if you see, again, not everybody has to do, you know, full audit of your calendar, but if you see, wow, every time I have this kind of activity, every time I meet with this person afterward, I am tempted to do this thing. And that thing is not energizing. What is it about that interaction that leads me in that direction? Or, um, you know, on this time of the day, this time of the week, uh, whatever it might be, you notice that you, you have those, temptations to to take an action that is going to drain your energy to to see why that is. And um, back to all the way at the very beginning, that self-reflection, it's it's incredibly powerful what you can discover just simply by tracking things. Um, you know, it's it's proven if people use a food diary and track what they eat that will actually change your behavior because just by looking at it and writing it down, it changes it. Um, you see, you know, if you're, if you're doing any sort of a, a journaling process that, that provides you so much insight into the decisions that you're making and why you're making them. And that, that simple one to 10 scale is a great way to integrate it. Yeah. I, I mean, we're like preaching to the choir. Self-leadership is everything. It is. It's just everything. And, and until you lead yourself well, it's really difficult to lead others well. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right there. That's that's the sentence, and it's. I think it's it's not always obvious that we need to lead ourselves, right? Um, and I know that's that's one of the key elements that you have in um, in shegetsit.com and and that platform. And it's it's one of the focuses that you have in your work right now is is really helping people understand self leadership. So could you um, spend a minute more, maybe talking about what self-leadership is and and how it is that people can kind of assess their self-leadership? Yeah. So for, for everybody, self-leadership is different because it's the intersection for you where pleasure and purpose connect and then integrating consciously the behaviors, the choices that are needed to sustain you standing at that intersection. So if you visualize yourself, all right, where am I in the world in terms of what brings me pleasure? What makes me feel significant and gives me purpose? Where does that cross? Well, that's that's like the classic fundamental def- definition of happiness. And I'll I'll go a little bit trite. You don't get happiness by chasing it. You know, you you get it by being in the practice of it. And the practices are the behaviors of keeping yourself in that intersection. So what brings you pleasure and purpose? And then what are those behaviors? And so I always say to people like if you're if you're ready to quit accepting so much nonsense Like if you're ready to communicate confidently and effectively, start drawing healthy boundaries, 
You know, if you know that staying centered, no matter the external circumstances, means that you can face anything and everything that life brings your way and have fun while you're at it, then you're at that intersection. And that's what all of my masterminds do is they help you stand at that intersection for yourself. And so self-leadership at the end of the day is what do you need for your optimal capacity? What do you need to show up to live as your best, fullest potential as your human evolution progresses? And then are you making choices? Are you being in the practice of all the things that sustain that? Hmm. That's that's so incredibly important. And I think it, it uh, again, calling back to something we were talking about earlier, the idea of self-leadership and of taking ownership of your your goals and your intentions and your behavior, it's almost an exact opposite to the idea of toxic positivity, yes. which is very, it's one size fits all. It's just smile and, and get through it. And it's, it's actually very disempowering because you are not able to have your own reaction to, to choose your response if you're, if you're just always in that mindset of, of toxic positivity. There, there's no leadership that's really happening there. Well, and it's even psychologically more damaging in terms of, I was raised in a generation, and I'm 50, I have no problem saying I'm 50. I was raised in a generation of fake it till you make it. And that sounds so cute and trite and it all rhymes until you realize that fake it till you make it has you feeling more depleted, more empty, more not good enough, um, more comparative. And I think that it's not the fake it till you make it. It's the show up who you are and be okay that this is part of the journey, that you're on your lane, you know, that somebody else is on their lane. And, and when we compare lane to lane, you know, it robs us of our joy. And I mean, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. It's mm-hmm. true for a reason. And so we don't want to be toxically positive. What we want to do is be in the practice of choosing things that light us up. And yes, it doesn't mean that our social selves aren't going to have to go along every now and then and be like, oh no, you know, it's all good because it's inappropriate to share in that moment and in that context. But the more that you show up expressing who you are, where you're at, you realize, oh my God, this is easier. This is less stressful to just be me. And and so I think that that's a lot of um, figuring out and unpacking a lot of the social self that we've been taught as kids so that we can get back to our essence. We can get get back to our internal compass of, but this is how I want to play. So it was interesting. I'll, I'll give you a quick story. The other day, there was a woman who said she went to the gym. And I think that many of us can relate to this. She hadn't been there for months. And so one of the trainers was like, well, well, you're not a disciplined person. And she took it so personally. Like she went home and then like she wrote all of us in the group, like, am I not a disciplined person? Like, oh my God, maybe I'm not a disciplined person. And it was like, whoa, take your power back. It was like, wait a minute. You showed up authentically that you were ready to go back to the gym. Mm -hmm. And instead of that person affirming you, They criticized you because of their own story, their own baggage, their own filter. I said, they have no idea why you weren't at the gym. I said, and maybe you were eating Cheetos on the couch. I said, Mm -hmm. or maybe you were prioritizing something else. Maybe you've had other things going on that mattered more. Maybe you were in a season where that wasn't as important or you were making different choices in order to survive. And And I said, so be careful of the story that you tell yourself and be careful of the power of somebody else's story about you. And I just Absolutely. think that that's really important to self-leadership. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so important. Um, we see that in a lot of different contexts where a person with authority, if they apply their story to you and you allow them to do that, that can drive incredibly toxic behaviors. You know, we see that in, this is just an example I'm thinking of, when you have a parent who has issues with food and with eating and with weight and does not have a good story (laughs) in their life and in their mind about that. And if that is something that, that you take on for yourself and you let that story be your story too, you're going to continue that pattern. You see that with with abuse. You know, in a work context, you see if if 
a leader has a story about somebody or about themselves uh, that limits their potential, that puts them in a box. If that person accepts that story and lives within that story, they're they're limiting their own potential. And that 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 frame of that person at the gym has a story about, you know, discipline that is likely disempowering to them. They might have some some guilt or some shame about the the level of discipline that they um, that they produce in their lives. And maybe this is something that, that they're really concerned about. And so often we look for those behaviors in other people, be, you know, this is so cliche, but because we're ashamed of them in ourselves and, and we're so easy to call things out in others. Um, and it can almost seem like we're doing them a favor, right? I'm not letting you fall into this trap that I so easily fall into, but, but it's actually our story that we're pushing onto them. And so important not to ascribe to someone else the reasons for why they did what they did. Um, you can acknowledge what they did. You can ask them. You can help them explore the reasons for what they did. But to apply a motive is outside the scope of, of what's possible. Well, and I think it also, as you say, it's a reflection of self. So, you know, to me, it's always, you, you're you only triggered by the things, the wounds, the stories, the baggage, the filters that you have. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, I always, I say again with my clients, you know, no, no trigger, no wound. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're, if you're triggered, then what's going on? What's that about? It's cause it's kind of like, if I said to you, um, and I'll, we'll just do a silly role play, but if I'm like, Oh, Elizabeth, you know, you're an idiot. And you just that morning, that morning were thinking, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I made this huge mistake. I'm such an idiot. And then I come along and I call you an idiot. I'm going to trigger you because you have a prior wound. Now that's a trite, like recent example but if, if you're feeling good about yourself, if, you, if you're feeling confident, and yes, we all make mistakes, but you're like, but I'm not an idiot. Like, I'm human. I can make mm-hmm. a mistake. But I'm, I actually see myself as a smart person. My stories are that I'm a smart, capable, strong woman. I can come along and I can call you an idiot and you don't even react. You're like, well, so, ABK's having a day. And that's because you have a strong sense of self to that. And that's, that's exactly what I feel like so many adults need to do for themselves and it's a giving themselves the gift of doing it is to say where have my beliefs come from about me where have i allowed primary caretakers or people in my original community what baggage and filters did they give me projections of themselves what wounds have they tried to pass on to me that i don't need to carry for them i don't need their burdens i don't need their stories i don't need their baggage but you don't realize you're carrying it from somebody else until you do the work. Absolutely. I, I'm i from a very large family. I'm one of six kids. I've got 15 nieces and nephews, all kinds of aunts and uncles wow. and cousins. And, um, you know, the, the standard cliche of, you know, your siblings know all your buttons because they were there when they were installed. <laughs> and yes. it is really... It, it, there's a reason that patterns continue across generations. And there's a reason, you know, whether it's your family of origin, as you said, whether it's the community that you're in, there are, there are stories, there are cultures, you know, it, it could be, you know, I grew up in a small town in the, in the Midwest. There, there's a story that comes with that. And if you don't look at it, if you don't step back from it and acknowledge that you're outside it, you're, you're absorbing all of the baggage of that story that don't necessarily have to be yours. And you can choose to take on elements of the story that that are true to you and that you you want to own, but um, just obliviously kind of absorbing the whole the whole story, the whole context that's around you is a is a really limiting way to look at yourself and, and to look at the world. I think that, you know, one of the things that's really important is to just walk through, and we do this in the mastermind as well. We walk through these set of beliefs and I'll literally say all of these 10 different ones, but I'll give you a classic example. It's like, I'm, I'm perfectly lovable exactly as I am is one of them. And it's interesting. You came into the world believing that until somebody told you otherwise, or until mm-hmm. something happened where love was taken from you and it was more conditional and then you realized, oh, in order to be loved, I have to be fill in the blank. I have to be perfect. I have to be this. I have to be, you know, seen and not heard. I mean, whatever it was that you were taught. And then as an adult, whatever age you are, over 21, 
I'll ask you, hey, do you believe that you're perfectly lovable exactly as you are? And somebody will say, no, I don't believe that. And I'm like, okay, well, time out. Because the only reason you wouldn't believe that is because of somebody else's messaging to you in the external mm-hmm. world. And so to me, doing that kind of work, unpacking that and realizing, okay, I don't have to be perfect to be perfectly lovable. I don't have to be kind in every single moment to be perfectly lovable. Uh, it's kind of like you, you unwrap it. And then I know there's people who are listening right now. They're like, no, what did she just say? You can be unkind and then be lovable at the same time. Yes, because why you're unkind has its own story around it. Like you just put something on yourself of what could possibly, you know, have triggered her to be unkind. There's a lot of reasons to not be kind. Um, I'm not saying they're appropriate in every moment, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of reasons to be unkind. And that doesn't mean that you haven't then apologized or asserted a boundary or Mm -hmm. at a moment that you need to go back and be like, oh my gosh, I was just, I was grieving. I was at a loss. I was hurting. I shouldn't have snapped. I, I haven't had sleep for five days. I have a new infant. I didn't mean that the way that it sounded. And then all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, we forgive you for that. Yes, you're lovable. You were lovable the whole time. If we give each other grace for being human. Mm. I I think a a very simple example of that grace is in how we think of our pets and our children. And you you still love your child, even when they've thrown a tantrum or your niece or your nephew. (laughs) I'm very glad I don't have kids. I I get to borrow my nieces (laughs) and nephews. I have a sister who has a dog who has eaten I believe three pairs of her glasses at this point. And somehow he is still a perfect dog (laughs) and perfectly lovable, just how he is. Um, I will say as his, I guess I'm his aunt as well. Um, I don't necessarily see that. My story about him is not my sister's, but if we can give that grace to others, the very least we should, we should make an attempt to provide it to ourselves. And um, if you can't see it for yourself, Hopefully you have, you know, a, an animal or a person in your life that you're able to provide that level of love to. And and you can really see that no matter what behaviors they might they might do in the moment, um, the overall relationship uh, stays the same. And and that's how you should be able to look at yourself as well. Um, it, it, it's also if you if you're constantly pivoting your perception of yourself based on the last thing that you did, um, or you're constantly tempted to to take the most negative thing that ever happened or that's happened in the last week and assume that that's all there is to you. That's that's also just not a, not a strong sense of self to have. And you're, you're not really understanding yourself. You're, you're just punishing and, and disempowering yourself. And that, that's really not a productive or, or helpful way to, to be thinking of yourself. Correct. And it goes right back to, you can be wickedly smart and have a dumb idea. You mm-hmm. can be wildly creative and have a lame idea, right? So it's, it just goes back again for giving yourself grace, having that sense of self and challenging the narratives that you have. And then I'll, I'll, I'll connect another dot too, is how energizing is it for me to give myself grace? How energizing would it be to mm-hmm. let this go? How energizing would it be for me to change my story? And it's not about faking yourself out. It's about taking the time to do the work and saying, what's the real narrative behind this? And that's, you know, not not to beat this because I think we've beat it up enough, but I think that it really is taking the time to invest in who you are and how you want to play so that you can show up and make the choices that are the healthiest and most loving for yourself. Hmm. That's, I think, a great way to, to start to wind down our conversation. Um, before we close, I want to make sure to ask you about the mastermind that you've got coming up. But um, first of all, I just want to ask you, are there any trends that you're kind of keeping an eye on as you as you look at the world around us and, and everything that's going on? Well, I don't, I don't think you can get too far on the internet today without coming across the words either quiet quitting or quietly quitting, um, which seems mm-hmm. to be today's buzzword. But you know, it's interesting, Elizabeth, this has been around for a long time. I mean, depending yep. on the generation, you know, we used to talk about absenteeism, we used to talk about engagement. Um, and so the the quiet quitting is just, you know, the, the term that we're using in, in today's current society. But 
there's a couple reasons that I think quote unquote, people are quietly quitting. First of all, they're not quitting, right? So that's just the misnomer right there. They're pulling back to say, oh, I'm just going to do my job description instead of going above and beyond. And I think that there's a myriad of reasons, everything from the pandemic and blurred boundaries, burnout, because the amount of work that people have done in the pandemic isn't sustainable. I mean, really and truly, you think about the fact that driving home or getting on the train or the bus or your bike to go home was a definitive line in the sand to say, I'm choosing to go into my personal world now. And Mm -hmm. for many people who were stuck at home, working at home, it was like, I can't escape my living room office, my dining room office, my den office, my, my studio apartment, that's all one. So whatever it was that you had, it was very easy to have the email responses at seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, whenever. And so this is about resetting boundaries. This is about resetting habits. And I will say, I'm going to be a little provocative on this one. It isn't psychologically quitting. Um, to your advantage to do less. It's just not. And so what you don't want to do is turn on the, oh, I'm going to accept mediocrity. I'm going to be the mediocre or the mediocre one on the team. That's not a cool place to play because people will pass you by. And you Mm -hmm. want to be careful that maybe your boss isn't quietly firing you. Um, (laughs) So, but I do think that the idea of being transparent, not quietly quitting, but being transparently assertive to say, I'm, I'm needing to shift my priorities. Mm-hmm. I'm needing to select this so that I can hit the reset button and refuel and regroup in order to get excited about this next project. That's, that's using your voice to remain a productive, high-performing individual on a team, be respected, and, you know, and advance your career along the way. Absolutely. I, I don't know anybody who enjoys being mediocre, right? We, we all want um, either the affirmation from others or just that self-affirmation or both, hopefully. Uh, and it, it, if you feel that urge toward mediocrity, you know, this goes back to the very beginning of what we were talking about, to, to analyze and, you know, as you said, maybe this is a period of reset. Maybe this is a period of planning of, of something else going on. Maybe you do actually need to take a break or a vacation. Maybe you do actually need to quit, right? Um, right out loud and directly. But whatever it might be, um, it, it, it's such an unpleasant place to be when you're, when you're underperforming. And it's actually one thing that I think as leaders to to take the choice, you know, to call that out and to ask people if if you're seeing that, you know, if you feel like, oh, I've got a team with people that are quietly quitting, to to listen and and see what's going on as opposed to just kind of letting them languish in yeah. mediocrity. It's it's not good for you, the organization, or that person. Yep. I, I just I completely agree. All right. Um, I love that you always have great resources, both your own and others, to share with our audience. So what are some re- resources that you would recommend? Well, I, as you know, I'm a huge fan of books. I have a huge library. And I always believe in just candidly saying this is what's been on my radar the last couple of weeks. I am a little slow on the uptake, but I have loved two books in the last month. One is Atomic Habits. And then the other is Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And both of these are, again, they're about resetting. They're about recentering. They're about regrouping and, and really controlling your own mindset. And that's very important to me right now. It's really important to the client that I'm working with that we sort of pull back the things that we can control. For so many of us have felt out of control with world events in the last couple of years that now it's like, okay, I do have control over my own mindset, my attitude, my choices. And I don't mean it in a trite way. We need practical tools to help us do that. And both of those books are great resources. Wonderful. That's that's so incredibly important. And um, I think that one of the best things that you can do when you feel in that state of chaos and and everything is out of control is find one thing that you are in control of, right? And that that first level, your reaction, your response, um, is is one of the first things that you can control. But but continuing to build that that self leadership and really take ownership of of who you are and who you show up as, um, that's an incredibly empowering uh, thing to do and, and really reduces the stress of the chaos and the everything that's going on around you. 
Right. And it's, it's just classic. It's the, you know, you don't get, you don't get balance in your life by yearning for it. You get balance in your life by making choices that, you know, reflect your shifted priorities. And so again, that's going to be my word for the day is just practice, practice, practice. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. All right. I believe you have a new mastermind that is coming out soon. So could you tell our listeners about that? Oh, I'm so passionate. It just, it lights me up energetically to talk about shegetsit.com. So yeah, we have a global platform for women leaders around the world that says, again, you cannot lead others well until you first lead yourself well. And so our mastermind starts again this September. It is uh, Mastermind 111 because we have a 222 and a 333, but 111 starts in September. So for those of you that are interested in starting to learn the language of self-leadership, you are welcome to check it out and join us. We start uh, September 20th, and so you can register up until then. And this is really that phenomenal and so important practice of who am I? How do I want to show up in a way that lights me up energetically? Mm. And then we have tons of tools because I, I'm not a fan of theory. I am a fan of then this is what you go do. This is the how to make that happen. Definitely. One of the reasons I always enjoy talking to you and reading your books and and just everything about your work is uh, it's not just the ideas, but the, the tangible, what can you actually do? All right, Amy Kay, if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Two easy places. So you can learn more about me at amyk.com. That's A-M-Y-K.com. You can certainly go to the shegetsit.com platform. Both of them have tons of free tools and resources. Generosity is actually one of our core values here. So we have lots of free resources. And then if you're a LinkedIn uh, person or an Instagram, you can follow me at Amy K. Hutchins. All right. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Amy Kay. Um, I've told you this before, but every time I have a conversation with you, whether it's on the podcast or not, I end up challenged and um, in a very, very positive way. So thank you very much. Thank you, Elizabeth. From my heart to yours. Hugs. All right. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. I know you must have loved it as much as I did. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three five six if you enjoyed the show please recommend us to a friend that is the best way to help more people discover it and if you haven't yet subscribed make sure that you do that you can subscribe for free wherever you're listening we love feedback leave us ratings and reviews in apple podcasts or your platform of choice or email us if you've got direct feedback questions topics or guests that we should be focused on podcast at criteria for success.com Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!